Here are 11 simple ideas that tripled my business. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because paying attention pays off. This episode is adapted from a presentation I gave at FinCon last month. And the origin of that talk was the handful of conversations with other FinCon attendees and presenters over the years that really made an impact on me and my business. Philip Taylor, PT, the founder of the conference and his team bring together this incredibly talented, motivated, and generous community. And on top of that, I've had a significant concrete ROI I can attribute to the conference. And that's one of the reasons I keep coming back. In fact, the business is three times the size it was, more than three times the size what it was when I started going. In this episode, I want to showcase some of the best advice I've heard since I started attending and paying attention in 2015. Paying attention pays off. Every year, how it works is I show up, I uh, get my year's worth of homework, and I go back to my cave, my closet recording studio these days, and execute. And it's just like that, lather, rinse, and repeat. And since doing that, like I said, business is more than triple what it was just a few years ago. So how this will work is I have 11 simple ideas to share. They're broken down into three categories, mindset, marketing, and motivation. And don't worry, the mindset stuff isn't too fluffy. I just needed more than anything else, another M for the sake of alliteration. I've got a bunch of tools and resources to share, and uh, some of those will have discounts or special offers for you. So you'll find links and details on all of those at sidehustlenation.com slash fincon19, F-I-N-C-O-N-1-9. Ready? Let's do it. Simple idea number one comes from Erin Chase from $5dinners.com. She was on episode 202 of the Side Hustle Show. And Aaron gave me the rule of two. And the rule of two states that if you find yourself doing the same task a second time, and you can foresee yourself doing it a third, fourth, fifth time, it's time to think about that task in a little bit of a different way. Can you eliminate it, automate it, accelerate it, or delegate it? Even if it just takes you a couple minutes. And this is really where I had a hard time. It's like always like, oh, well, it's just going to take me a couple minutes. It's easier if I just do that versus trying to have somebody else take care of that. Aaron's argument is no, create the process, delegate it, get it off your plate. And so after you're done listening to this, let this be your first assignment. With every task that you find yourself doing, apply the rule of two. And I think you're going to be amazed at the opportunities you find. One tool to, or one exercise that may be useful in helping you do that is just a time tracking exercise, a time audit. It's just something we've talked about on the show before. This is where you physically write down every task that you're working on and start time, stop time, and then some notes about that. Like, what did you do? And you'll start to identify what I might call like underwear folding tasks. These are the things that you do because you've, you maybe you've always done them, or maybe you get some satisfaction from having done them. But when you zoom out, you're like, why? What was the point of that? So the time tracking exercise will help you identify those And that kind of will go down the rabbit hole of eliminating the stuff that doesn't really drive any results or doesn't need to be you doing it. So I used to go down the the Facebook rabbit hole, like the endless scroll. So one just quick tool that's helped me stop doing that, at least on desktop, is the Newsfeed Eradicator plugin, which I love for Chrome. And it still lets me see my notifications and all the group stuff where I use Facebook as a business tool, but it gets me, it stops me from like going deep down the time-wasting time suck. On the automation side, 
I've come to rely on Zapier this year. The slogan is Zapier makes you happier. And the free alternative to this is if this, then that, IFTTT, but it became really unreliable this year. And because IFTTT is free, there's no support. It's just like you get what you pay for, it works or doesn't work. Zapier has been bulletproof so far. And where this has come into play for my business is like in automating certain processes. So if Brandon, the podcast editor, dumps a completed file into a certain Dropbox folder, that's going to automatically trigger an email to Phil, the show notes guy, to say, hey, it's ready for your part of the process. Even though that only took maybe 30 seconds for me to draft that email, now it happens automatically. So as you go down the rule of two, you'll find these different things in your business that could be automated. On the email side itself, I probably have half a dozen or more different email addresses, but they all funnel in to one Gmail inbox, one inbox to rule them all. And on top of that, I've layered a couple different filtering tools. The first is SaneBox, which I've got a special discount for Side Hustle Show listeners. This was a service that I ended up testing out and loving after they reached out to sponsor the show a couple years ago. So SaneBox is really good at figuring out the emails that they think you ought to see, and they'll put those in your primary inbox. And then they filter everything else to a folder called Sane Later. Like, hey, this stuff is maybe important, but it's not it's not urgent. And then you can train it kind of like thumbs up, thumbs down in Pandora, like, hey, false positive, this really ought to go to the inbox or vice versa. This really isn't important. Put this over in Sane Later. On top of that, I layer my own filters in a couple different areas. For example, I have all like the service at paypal.com emails, all the invoicing emails, all that stuff goes into a folder called accounting. And the reason for that is I can batch process all that bookkeeping stuff. And maybe that's something I should delegate down the road, but I'm kind of like the accounting nerd who likes to have a pulse on that stuff. The other manual filter that I have set up is my own autoresponder subject lines. So if anybody responds to one of my welcome sequence emails, that goes into a folder. In my case, it's called engagement replies. And again, I can log in there and see those responses you know, once or twice a week and batch process those rather than getting derailed and seeing that stuff in my primary inbox as it comes in. The last automation tool that I'll share is uh, LastPass, which you probably already have heard of. It's my favorite like password management thing. I don't have to take up mental capacity with 100 different passwords, but there's a little known checkbox inside of LastPass that says auto login. So if you hit edit under each website, you'll have this little checkbox for auto login. It doesn't always work, but one small way to save yourself a few clicks on the websites that you visit most often. And if it does work, hopefully you'll think of me and thank me because those seconds (laughs) add up. Under Accelerate, what this has meant for me is like, okay, here's a task that isn't worthy of being eliminated, isn't something that I can automate, and maybe it doesn't make sense to delegate it. So how can I accelerate that? For me, that's been learning the keyboard shortcuts on all the software that I've been using, like video editing, podcast editing, And even Gmail itself has a bunch of keyboard shortcuts built in and just figuring those out or just a handful has been really helpful in speeding things up. I've also created my own library of keyboard shortcuts with Text Expander. They've been a sponsor on the show in the past. This is like where you can just, you know, a few snippets for the things you type most often or copy and paste most often. Really, really powerful tool works across all different platforms and it's really affordable too. But if you're on a super tight budget, Auto Text Expander is the Chrome only version of it, the Chrome extension version of it, which just works in Chrome, but works for email and some other stuff, which I think is is very helpful. Most video players have like a speed adjuster dial at this point, but video speed controller is a favorite plugin of mine. 
for those videos that don't, like how can I adjust the playback speed and get through this a little bit quicker? And then we talked about time tracking a moment ago that I think you'll find the very act of time tracking using just the Excel method like I've used or a tool like Toggle, which I've used in the past, T-O-G-G-L, or Steve Scott recommended a time logger. I think it's a smartphone app. The very act of working while that clock is ticking kind of gamifies it a little bit. I think you'll find you're more efficient and you'll accelerate your productivity when you're on the clock. Now, I've thrown a bunch of different tools at you in this section, and there's a reason for that. Even though there's no single software or resource that's a magic pill, the tools you work with matter, right? And one tool that's been recommended by 97% of small business owners is our sponsor, FreshBooks.com. FreshBooks is the number one invoicing and accounting system for side hustlers, freelancers, agencies, service providers. FreshBooks fully embraces the rule of two by helping you eliminate unnecessary back and forth with clients, helps you accelerate getting paid, and helps you automate follow-ups and recurring payments. Side Hustle Show listeners can try FreshBooks free for 30 days at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. There's no catch, no credit card required. Check it out at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The last part of the rule of two is this delegation stage. Now, I'm all about bootstrapping, right? But I'm also about hiring help as soon as revenue justifies it. And one way to think about this is to think about your hourly rate or your effective hourly rate. And if you've never calculated this, the easy way to do it is to take what you earned last month and divide it by how many hours you worked. And within those hours, you probably are going to find some tasks like I did that could be done just as well or better by someone at a lower hourly rate. So my current virtual assistant stack looks like this. I've got a podcast editing service called podcastfasttrack.com. Tell them Nick sent you. I've got a WordPress maintenance and support service called ZenWP. I consider this my like basically website insurance service. If anything breaks, they're kind of on call. If I need to make some adjustment, they're on call and pretty quick response times over there. I've got a handful of freelance writers. I mentioned Phil a moment ago and a few other people help contribute content for the site as well. Now, as you heard from my chat with Jamie Masters a couple months ago, I definitely still have room for improvement on the delegation side, which leads me to simple idea number two, and that comes from Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income. Pat says, let go, or put another way, to grow, do the thing that's uncomfortable. In some meaningful way, 
I believe that letting go is the only way to really take control. And that's why I submitted this talk as a, as a proposal for FinCon. Like I had a rule for a couple of years not to seek out any stage time. Like for me, it wasn't worth the stress and the prep time, but a small part of me knew that was taking it the easy way out. And I didn't like that. So to grow, do the thing that's uncomfortable. You probably have an idea of what that is for your business. Maybe it's speaking, maybe it's reaching out to influencers, maybe it's making a cold pitch, maybe it's creating a new product for your audience, maybe it's hiring that new team member. For me, it's been a little bit of all of that. It's been hiring writers, recognizing that not every word that hits the site needs to be from my fingertips. I can accelerate things a little bit by bringing on some help there. It's been building a course this summer. People have been asking me about this for years and always came up with some excuse but finally buckled down this summer, thanks in part to the Teachable Challenge, and really recognized that, okay, there's value in structuring content in a certain way and trying to guide people through a transformation step-by-step. Step. At least that's the goal. SideHustleNation.com slash Hustle 101 if you want to join the interest list for when that thing is open again. And the third thing on letting go was something I was hesitant to do for a while, but have been doing now for several years, and that was accepting sponsorship on this podcast. But I've heard from so many listeners how it's a win-win. Like, hey, thank you for introducing me to such and such a service. Plus, it's freed up time in other areas, the income from it, and it's allowed me to put more energy and effort into making a better show. So that was simple idea number two from Pat, let go. Simple idea number three is to get better every week. And this comes from Joel Saul Sihai from Stacking Benjamins. Joel reminds me a lot of my dad. If my dad was cool enough to have a podcast called Stacking Benjamins. And I remember the, the line that Joe told me. He said, I'm embarrassed by the work I did a year ago. And a year from now, I want to be embarrassed by the work I'm doing today. This is the slight edge habit. This is the 1% infinity habit that Bjork Ostrom shared with us years and years ago. We did a, a full episode on the slight edge. That was episode 152, if you want to check it out. It's about these imperceptible daily changes that over time really start to compound. And what that has looked for me, first has been hiring a podcast coach. For years, I've said the show is my most important discovery channel, my most important relationship building channel, but never had any formal training in radio podcast production. So finally hired a podcast coach. It's been really helpful to have someone with years of experience in the industry per se to have a listen like hey why are you doing things like that like well that's just how i've always done them like just to have somebody kind of questioning why are you doing things that way so that's been good it's been coming up with a more rigorous guest vetting process always starting with the hook in mind like what are the listeners going to get out of this and it's been formalizing a pitch process so i would get a lot of inbound pitches, which is something I'm grateful for at this point. But the problem was, well, the, the good thing was like the 10% of pitches that were awful were super easy to deal with because you're like, no, thanks. That sounds awful. And the 10% of pitches that were really good were great because you're like, okay, let's schedule something. Let's make that happen. It was the 80% in the middle that were okay. that were like, well, there might be something there, you know, and it just became a really, really time consuming process of this back and forth and trying to figure out if there was a good enough hook or angle to turn that into a show. So I created a more formalized pitch process at sidehustlenation.com slash pitch, where you can kind of aggregate all these inbound pitches. So it's been hiring a coach, the guest vetting, and then 
getting more serious about the habit tracking or rather the progress tracking. Like if I want to get better every week, like Joe suggests, how am I actually measuring that and turn that into the progress journals, my own physical productivity tracking journal. You can check it out at progressjournal.net. And this has been really helpful to actually measure the stuff that I've been working on. Like, is this having any impact? Am I doing the things that I said I was going to do? Am I getting better every week, like Joe suggests? Simple idea number four, and this wraps up our mindset segment of the episode, is that community is everything. And this comes from Jonathan Mendonca, co-host of the popular Choose FI podcast. So I did this talk originally at FinCon, and I asked the room, there are probably 200 people in the room, I said, who is a member of the Choose FI Facebook group? And probably more than half of the hands went up. In almost, not even three years, Choose FI has grown a community of 50,000 people on Facebook. And they have done an excellent job of like involving that community, really becoming the virtual water cooler for the financial independence conversation, for the financial independence community, the fire movement, as it were. And part of the reason... It reminds me of a story from, I think the book is Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. And there's this story in there about this small town newspaper. You know, newspapers across the country are going out of business, really struggling to survive. But this small town newspaper seems to be thriving. Like what makes them different? And the story goes to explain like it's the editor-in-chief's insistence on names, names, names. Whatever story we run, how can we print people's names from the community? If their name's in the paper, they're going to buy it, they're going to share it. So when you're creating content, how can you include your community? How can you include names, names, names? One way to do it is through that Facebook group like Jonathan has created for Choose FI. It's something that I have for Side Hustle Nation as well. SideHustleNation.com slash FB will get you over there. And one thing I love about that community is it's taken the conversation from one to many, from me broadcasting from my kid's bedroom closet or, you know, back in the, in the living room early on in the show, broadcasting on the podcast, broadcasting out on the blog. It's taken that one to many conversation to, and made it many to many. Now, all of a sudden, people are asking and answering questions on their own without my direct involvement. And I'm really happy to see those conversations happening and really happy to kind of have created that hub, created that community around that. It's also become a really cool place to crowdsource content. Like we put together a couple years ago, a post on business ideas for kids and kind of crowdsourced the answers for that. Because outside of my own experience of like selling baseball cards and trying to sell candy at summer camp, I wasn't the foremost expert on this. So put it out to the community. And now I've got a piece of content that ranks well in Google. On the podcast, it's taken the form of Q&A episodes. It's taken the form of coaching episodes. It's taken the form of kind of like case study success story episodes that feature listeners of the show. And I try to make a point, especially lately, of pointing that out. Like, hey, here's a side hustle show listener who took action. Hey, here's a side hustle show listener who reached out with a question, right? To put listeners kind of in their shoes. Like, hey, this person is just like me, right? That's kind of what involving the community means. That's something that ChooseFI has done a really good job of. And then lastly, it's been in-person meetups, taking that relationship from online to offline. And honestly, this is like the most rewarding part of my job. I get so much energy from these, like from the very first time meeting a listener. Remember, I was in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, and a listener had heard we were coming to town and had insisted on buying me 
an iced coffee, a Cafe Suwada. My pronunciation is probably awful. And didn't even call it a meetup at that time. But since then, have been so grateful to be able to connect with listeners like really all over the country, all over the world. Honestly, the best part of the, the gig is meeting people face to face. Those dots on the chart, you know, those dots in Google Analytics and Libsyn and wherever else, like those are real people. And it's been really, really cool to meet people in person. Something I didn't expect when I started, but has been absolutely gratifying from day one. So that wraps up our mindset section. And the four simple ideas were to recap the rule of two, let go, get better every week, and community is everything. Let's move on to the marketing segment. And I'm going to kick it off with simple idea number five. And it's actually a formula, a formula from Deacon Hayes from wellkeptwallet.com. He said, Nick, DA plus WC equals PV. And then he just let it hang there like I was supposed to know what that meant. And then he gave me a hint and said, here's how SEO works. DA plus WC equals PV. And eventually he took pity on me and said, look, domain authority plus word count equals page views. This is a broad strokes overview of how you can get more traffic from Google. So domain authority is the perceived authoritativeness of your website in the eyes of Google. You build that through attracting relevant links to your content and writing really in-depth content on a particular topic. So that's something I've been focused on. And then word count, this is like one, at least at the moment, and this will probably change, but like how to achieve that perceived authority in the eyes of Google? Well, you know, write really in-depth stuff, write really long content. So the average blog post on Side Hustle Nation in the last two years is 3,700 words. And I think I've gone as long as 10,000, which is probably too long. But in writing longer content, I'm actually writing less overall than when I started because I don't feel the pressure to get a post out just because it's Monday. And as a result of this domain authority plus word count, search engine traffic is four or five times what it was in 2015 when I first started going to FinCon. 17 out of the last 20 articles I've posted with search engine intent have landed on the first page of Google. And that search engine intent piece is important because I I believe there's still an element of blogging that's talking to your existing subscribers. And those are posts like my quarterly progress reports or case studies or breakdowns on my latest projects. Like, here's what it was like to launch the progress journal as a KDP print-on-demand book. So I'm not saying that everything has to be like this super SEO-optimized thing, but but keeping that in mind has definitely had a big impact on my overall traffic. Simple idea number six is you're not on Pinterest. I've learned so much from Rosemary Groner from busybudgeter.com over the years, and she's had a whole series of episodes here on the Side Hustle Show. It was kind of hard to narrow down to just one takeaway, but I settled on this one. You're not on Pinterest? I remember this conversation pretty distinctly. She's like, so you're a blogger. I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got this podcast too. And you're not on Pinterest. It's like, no, I didn't, didn't know anything about Pinterest for the sake of blogging and marketing at that point. And she just looked at me like I was the biggest idiot on the planet. And she went on to explain why I should care about Pinterest in that it's a user to content platform, much more of a search engine than it is social media. Like, are people out there looking for your stuff? There's 300 million people on Pinterest. Odds are, Some of them are looking for your stuff. Now, the thing is, if you've listened to episode 142 with Rosemary, Pinterest doesn't work like it used to. The old strategy of joining a bunch of group boards and then kind of automatically 
spinning out your pins to those boards, that really isn't effective anymore. Instead, consider Pinterest like a search engine, and that means targeting keywords, 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 thinking of your pin titles, your board titles and descriptions, your pin descriptions. So a little bit more on that type of strategy, check out episode 318 we did with Kate All from Simple Pin Media earlier this year, and that will help you kind of figure out, okay, is Pinterest for me? And here's how I can set myself up for success over there. Pinterest traffic is definitely down from the from the glory days, but it's still been a source of tens of thousands of incremental visitors. Like, right, you never know when your next biggest fan is going to come from. I hear from people monthly who say, hey, I found you on Pinterest. So definitely worth paying attention to. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Simple idea number seven comes from Kyle Taylor at thepennyhoarder.com. Kyle recommended to email your most engaged subscribers first, which is something I never had thought about before. So the old process for me was, hey, broadcast message, blast it out to everybody, right? Like that's how it's done. The new process following Kyle's advice is to send to the people who have opened an email in the last two weeks in Active Campaign. I tag those people as being engaged. And the idea behind that is to send all sorts of warm, fuzzy signals to Gmail and the other email service providers to knock out a really high open rate, a really high click rate, a really high response rate, and say, hey, this is content that people really seem to want and engage with, right? And so when I send to everybody else an hour later, they've taken all that into consideration and the algorithms kind of work a little bit in your favor. Since I started doing that, I've seen a 5 to 10% percentage point lift in overall open rate. And depending on the size of your list, that could be thousands of extra people seeing your messages. Now, I know I could be doing better with email and funnels and products and affiliates and all of that, but for straight broadcast messages, I think this is definitely worth a test. Email your most engaged subscribers first. Simple idea number eight comes from Todd Tresseter from financialmentor.com. You heard from Todd on episode 327 of the show. Todd's advice was to cut the crap. And for a moment, I want you to think like a robot, since that's what Google is. How does that robot see your site? Is it cluttered up with outdated, irrelevant, low-quality content? Mine definitely was. So over time, I've been cleaning it up, trying to make it more tightly focused, higher quality, and more authoritative. Remember going back to Deacon's domain authority. And what that has looked like has been deleting, and I didn't do this all at once, deleting over 700 posts, over 240,000 words, 
which I couldn't actually bear myself to delete since this was like years of my life in writing. It was 1,500 pages when I pasted it in to Microsoft Word. And the word count is almost enough to get you through the first three Harry Potter books. It was super painful to remove that from the site, like take it off the internet. But it wasn't serving me and definitely wasn't serving readers. I was a, a digital hoarder. I was like a blog post hoarder. And one important thing, and this was kind of scary because I did all this deleting and I didn't see an immediate like spike in traffic. I didn't see immediate results. But within six months, I had 65% increase in organic search traffic. So over time, it was in establishing a tighter, more quality experience, better domain authority by getting rid of this low quality, irrelevant stuff. The other piece to this content audit process has been republishing. And that's recognizing like, okay, this maybe this is just outdated. Maybe this is still relevant to the overall vision of the site, the overall topic of the site, but it could just use a refresh. Like, could I add content? Could I add frequently asked questions to the bottom? And could I republish that? Could I bump that to the top of the RSS? Meaning everybody who is new to the site is going to see it. Maybe they didn't go through the entire archives when they first joined. And Google and users seem to reward recency. I know when I search for something and I all else being equal, I see the article from 2016 and the one from 2019, I'm probably going to click on the 2019 one. So republishing it's eased the burden of like having to create something new every time. Plus, it's been effective for driving more search traffic. And the third thing that we did related to this content audit, site audit thing was building out a blog library. And I just did this in a Google Sheet. And so I had columns across the top, which would be like the title of the post. When was it last updated? What's the word count of it? What kind of traffic does it get today? You know, 30-day page views. Where does it rank in Google today? What keyword is it targeting? What's the search volume of that keyword? And what this has done is given like a really easy snapshot overview of the content that is performing well and the content that is performing not as well as could be. Like, what could we tweak to this, especially if it's ranked eight or nine? Like, how can we bump that up on the page or the content that's ranked like 12, 13, 14? Like, hey, it's just, it's creeping on page two. Like, how can we get this up there? Maybe it's due for a refresh. Maybe it's due to be uh, expanded a little bit. So that was Todd's advice to cut the crap. And that rounds out our simple ideas under the marketing category, the marketing segment of this episode. That was domain authority plus word count equals page views from Deacon. You're not on Pinterest from Rosemary. Email your most engaged subscribers first from Kyle Taylor. And Todd says, cut the crap. Now let's get into the good stuff, the monetization. For the last couple of years, the primary revenue pillars of Side Hustle Nation have been sponsors on the show and affiliate offers through the blog, where in years past, I relied more heavily on freelancing and coaching gigs. And one freelance writer extraordinaire I've hung out with at, I believe, every FinCon I've been to so far is Miranda Marquit. And I've been talking for a while, so I'll let her explain why our sponsor FreshBooks is worth a look if you're doing any sort of client work. This edition of the Side Hustle Show is brought to you by FreshBooks.com, and I've got another phone-in testimonial for you this week. This is Miranda Marquit from PlantingMoneySeeds.com and Adulting.tv. I use FreshBooks, and I have been using FreshBooks for several years now, and I love FreshBooks because it gives me the chance to quickly and easily invoice clients and get paid. There are so many great features on FreshBooks from recurring invoices to templates due to the fact that I can easily log in and see my dashboard 
and see who has paid and who needs a reminder to pay me. So FreshBooks is a great way to get paid. The fees are pretty low. And if you choose the e-check option, you can also get a discount on your PayPal fees. So not only does FreshBooks help me get paid faster, it also ensures I save money. Visit freshbooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30-day free trial today. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the side hustle show in the how did you hear about us section. And that brings us to simple idea number nine. If it doesn't make you money, why are you doing it? This comes from Joseph Hogue from Let's Talk Money on YouTube. He was on episode 220 of the Side Hustle Show. And I think this is probably a little unfair to Joe because I think this sounds pretty cold-hearted capitalist. But instead, what I want to force you to ask is like, what's the goal of this? What's the point of this? I want each article I create to be a little minion going out into the world to do my bidding. Like how does each piece of content fit into your overall strategy? Is it going to be like Joe recommended, kind of this standalone asset on its own that can drive traffic, that can build a relationship, that can help people, that can earn money. And if you don't have an answer for that, or if you just want to write something for the sake of your own creative outlet, that's totally fine. But that's a hobby and not a business. I blogged as a hobby for years. Totally fine. Those were the 700 posts that I deleted for the most part. But today, especially with the kids, like time is so much more limited. So ROI is, is top of mind. Like, what's the goal behind every piece of content you create? And creating stuff, like we talked about with Deacon, creating stuff to serve your existing audience, to deepen that relationship, totally fine. What this has looked like in practice for me has been doing some keyword research prior to hitting Compose. Never did any sort of keyword research for my first probably seven years of blogging. Like, oh, don't go in blind like I did. For me, that's been Hrefs. Kim Anderson, a few episodes ago, recommended KW Finder as a keyword research tool. And of course, I like the Keywords Everywhere Chrome extension for some quick and dirty numbers as well. And I think these are most useful, since they're all going to spit out different numbers, that's kind of the crazy thing. They're most useful for relative comparisons. Like if you use the same tool, you can compare different keywords for their volume and their competitiveness. It's been paying more attention to on-page domination, recognizing this is the thing that I have most control over in the world of SEO, is like, how can I make the article itself bulletproof. Again, I've had the Yoast plugin installed from day one, but never paid it any attention. I don't obsess over turning the little traffic lights green in that plugin, but I do use that kind of as general best practices. Like, okay, if it recommends this and like, okay, I can make a decision whether or not I want to pay attention to that. So paying attention to the on-page stuff, using something like the Hemingway app, which is a free tool to make your content easier to read. It'll just highlight sections it thinks could be improved upon. And then recognizing that once you get on the first page, it becomes kind of like this sales pitch game of like, how can I get somebody to click on my result instead of anybody else's? And I think a cool tool to help you do that is the co-schedule headline analyzer, where it's this fine line between, you know, using your keyword and kind of like this compelling hook of like, well, why should I click on this one versus anybody else? So the co-schedule headline analyzer is a cool tool. It'll spit back out a score for you on every headline that you punch in there. Simple idea number 10 comes from Michelle Schroeder-Gardner from makingsenseofsense.com. She was a guest on episode 257 of the Side Hustle Show. And her recommendation was to look for affiliate opportunities in your top performing content. And the crazy thing is, I had been in affiliate marketing for 
at least 12 years when Michelle told me this. But still, sometimes it just takes it hitting you over the head enough times. And if affiliate marketing isn't your thing, swap out affiliate opportunities for product sales, for email signups, for advertising revenue, like whatever monetization channel is, is most relevant to you. But taking Michelle's recommendation for just my top 10 pages has added hundreds, probably thousands of dollars a month to my bottom line. And again, I had been in affiliate marketing for over a decade. And the good news is there's an 80-20 here. So my top 10 posts accounted for 50% of my traffic. The path that you're going to want to remember is Google Analytics, Behavior, Site Content, and then All Pages. And it's going to be automatically sorted by the pages that have the most traffic. Now, what you're looking for on those pages, you're looking for outbound links that aren't affiliated. That's some low-hanging fruit. Do those companies have affiliate programs? It's worth checking. If nothing else, could you add links to Amazon? What are other sites linking to that are on the same topic? Like who else ranks in the top 10 for those keywords? Like who are they linking to? Do those appear to be affiliate links? You can check the big affiliate networks. You can check the footer of the merchant pages. You can ask around in Facebook groups. Or you can even ask the site owner you found the link on. Hey, I noticed you're linking to so-and-so. Is that an affiliate link? Do you have a contact for their affiliate manager? Or one other way, if you're if you're familiar with kind of common affiliate link structures, is to use redirectdetective.com, because oftentimes you'll find affiliate links like sidehustlenation.com slash activecampaign. And then if you're familiar with that link structure, you can plug it into redirectdetective and say, okay, who are they routing that through? Oh, that looks like a commission junction link. And again, if affiliate isn't your thing, consider display advertising or other relevant calls to action. The main point here was like, look, these pages are already getting traffic. Like, what can you do to convert more of that? Like, what can you do to do more with the people that are already coming to your site. And let's bring it home with simple idea number 11, which is make it obvious. This comes from Robert Farrington from thecollegeinvestor.com. Robert's been on the show a couple times, most recently in episode 166. And we're probably due for another where are they now check-in with Robert because he's been absolutely blowing up since then. But if you look at many of the pages on The College Investor, you're going to notice things like comparison tables. You're going to see things like big, bold buttons. You're going to see written out calls to action. You're going to see bold links. And since the vast, vast majority of the site's income comes from affiliate relationships, he makes it obvious that that's what you're supposed to do. Hey, click on this. Hey, do this thing. Hey, take this action. And if you present multiple affiliate options on one page, all else being equal, all else being good options for your reader, like sort those by your expected earnings per click or put the best paying options up at the top. Starting to do that on the site has made a big impact. Robert recommended, hey, test out making your links bold. That's easy enough to do. Hey, I want somebody to click on this. I'm going to make it bold. It's been testing out writing sentence form calls to action. Set up your free active campaign trial or something like that. And actually, there's another quick win I want to give Robert credit for. And it was just from last month which was adding a table of contents to almost all my posts. Now, before I'd manually coded these on a few super long posts, but he argued, look, the more structured data you can give Google about what your content is about, the better off you're going to be. And almost immediately, my search results started having these little internal post links that were pulled from the table of contents. I just used a free plugin called Easy Table of Contents to do this. And like the name of it suggested, it was really easy to implement. So I'm going to link that up for you, plus all the other resources mentioned in this episode at sidehustlenation.com slash fincon19. So let's wrap up our simple ideas as it regards to monetization. Those were 
if it doesn't make you money, why are you doing it? Or put another way, you know, what's the goal behind each piece of content that you create? Number two was to look for affiliate or other monetization opportunities in your top performing content. Look, you probably don't need to go out and conquest new readers, new listeners, new subscribers all the time. Look at the assets you already have. And number three was to make it obvious. What do you want people to do when they land on your page? If I can leave you with a handful of parting thoughts, it would be number one, to befriend the people who are a year or two ahead of you. Remember, if there's a shortcut, it's mentorship. Number two would be to see what's working for other people, but put your own unique spin on it. Like, I'm not going to out college investor Robert. I'm not going to out Pat Flynn, Pat Flynn. I'm not going to out fire, choose FI. That's the really important thing. And it was actually Jonathan who said, if you can't be first, be different. So seeing what's working for other people and then putting your own unique spin on it. Super important step. And then number three is to take action on what you learn. Paying attention pays off, but only if you implement. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show, where we have another audience member volunteering for some public coaching on his consulting business. I'll see you then. Hustle on.